This week, we're taking a look at maybe the relationship that brings us the most joy, but also the most hurt, and definitely the relationship that requires the most work. Yep, you guessed it. We're going to talk about marriage today. And so at the end today, uh, we're going to have Paul and Chase and Dave and our spouses are all going to join me on stage, and we're going to answer your questions. So if there are any questions that you have about the sermon, about marriage, things you want to know, they're anonymous. You can put Batman down as the name if you want. It's okay. Just scan that QR code in front of you, and we'll get those questions, and we'll talk about those. But what I want you to know about that is this is designed to be a discussion. We are not marriage experts. We do not have it all together. Combined, we have 85 years of experience making mistakes in marriages, and we hope we can share some of our mistakes so you don't have to make the same ones. So that's how we'll end. But before we begin, I want to offer a disclaimer. Marriage is hard. And I know in a room this size that there are some of us here who are walking in and you're like, the last thing I want to talk about today is marriage because mine's in rough shape, or I'm hurting, or mine's been filled with disappointment, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. Our mission statement is connecting everyone to Jesus' community and purpose. And if we're gonna do that, that means we have to walk together with love and grace in the midst of life's ups and downs. My ups and downs, your ups and downs, and we have to learn what it means to love each other in the middle of that and to bear one another's burdens. And so we're going to talk about some things that maybe are hard today, but I want you to know we want to do that with the most love and grace, and we want to be here to support and encourage you along the way. So maybe the best place to start when you start to think about marriage is at the beginning. So if you have your phone or your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. Open up to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, and we're going to look at how God created this institution of marriage and what his goal was in that. Because next level marriages follow God's design. Next level marriages follow God's design. Let's take a look at Genesis 2 and see what I mean. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So how does this passage tell us God designed marriage? First, God designed marriage for companionship. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Adam lives in a beautiful garden where there is no sin in the world. It is perfect. God looks at Adam and says it's not good for him to be alone. Adam doesn't look at God and be like, hey, there's nobody like me here. Can you fix this? God who Adam work, walks with in perfect harmony, undistracted by all the things we're distracted with, looks at Adam and says, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs 
a companion, a friend, someone who's like him. When we understand that God's design for marriage starts with companionship, and even in this perfect place there was something missing, we understand that our relationship with our spouses are intended to provide us with deep and significant levels of companionship and friendship. And we understand what that means and how we live that out when we understand that God designed marriage to teach us to be helpers. Can we be honest for a minute and just say that the, this passage has been used over centuries by people seeking power and control to de-emphasize the role of the wife. When you look at the Hebrew in this text, there's no room to make less of a helper. The Hebrew word is ezer. And when you hear that word, that word is only used to describe two things. First, military reinforcements. So imagine you're in the middle of the battle and your ezer is coming. That is a military backup that's gonna help you win the war. This is not some weak, timid, like, support to make us feel good about ourselves. And most often in the Old Testament, that word is used to describe God as he was going to step in for the Israelites and be their military reinforcements, be their background, be their support, be their encouragement. And when we read that last sentence, I will make a helper who's just right for him. Again, the Hebrew gives us a little more depth. I will make a helper like opposite him. You might be like, like opposite. That is not helpful, Jason. That doesn't describe anything. Tim Keller explains this contradictory idea with the image of a puzzle piece. Now, if you've done a puzzle, I can't stand puzzles. They take way too much patience. But if you are a puzzle person, you understand that you can't have two exactly same puzzle pieces and try to put them together. It doesn't work. They don't go together like that. You can't have two random puzzle pieces that are just like, oh, look, I'll take this puzzle piece from box A, this puzzle piece from box C, and we'll make a puzzle. Look, they stick together. They don't work that way. When we think about like opposite, we need people who are rightly different from us. Rightly different. When we understand this, we understand that God is sending to Adam and to Eve and to us someone with enormous power to help us grow, to help us mature, and to help us develop into what it means to be healthy and whole followers of Jesus. This breaks down some of the things that I think cause trouble in our marriages. Things like, well, because I'm a man, I have to behave this way, or because I'm a woman, I have to behave that way. In my marriage, this is dangerous to make stereotypes on stage, but let's try it once. In my marriage, let's go back. Stereotypically, most women are the more emotional people in life, right? That is not true in my marriage. You put on a movie where a puppy dies, I am going to cry and cry like a baby. My wife is going to sit on the other end of the couch, stoic and straight-faced, simply because she's heartless. That's what really this comes down to. 
She'll be up here in a minute with a microphone and I'll pay for that. But like she is, I'm the one who's gonna get angry fast. I'm the one who's gonna get sad fast. My emotions are a roller coaster up and down. My wife is the even keeled person. Because we are like opposite. She has taught me how to manage those emotions. She's challenged me when she's like, I think you are inordinately upset about this thing that doesn't make any sense. And I've challenged her to be like, I think you are emotionally disconnected from this thing that should be upsetting you. We've grown, we've pushed, we've been each other's helper. And the last thing that God designs for us in marriage is that he's to be in the middle of it. While God clearly saw Adam's need for companionship and a helper who was like opposite, he also knew that Adam and Eve would need him to get to next level marriages. See, all throughout scripture, God refers to himself as the bridegroom, the one who's coming for his bride. We see it heavily in the prophets. You see it all through the gospels. And when we understand that it's our relationship with Jesus that is gonna fulfill our deepest desires, when we understand the patience that he's given to us, the grace that he's shown to us, the forgiveness that he's given to us, and we rely on that in our marriages, we're able to do those things for our spouse, not in our own strength, because I'll never be able to do those things for Corey, not on my own. But it's in him and in the understanding of what he's done for me that I'm able to be gracious and merciful and forgiving to my spouse. So if this is God's design for marriage, companionship, we're helpers, and he's in the middle of it, how do we live it out? I think scripture gives us two clear passages that give us some insight into this. The first of these, I want, you, I want to be honest, is really about all relationships in general, but I think when we apply it to marriages, it has power. So the first one is Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Paul writes to Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and then skipping to verse 21. Imitate God, therefore, in everything we do. Because we are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, one of the things that I find the most enjoyment in life in is when science supports what God says. And if you know anything about the science of marriage or you've looked into it, the John Gottman Institute of, Sci of Research has done more for marriage scientifically than anybody else. And they've created this thing called the Love Lab. It's not weird, don't go there. It's an apartment where Young couples, couples have been married for a while, they invite them to come in and they watch them for 48 to 72 hours with cameras. They check their blood levels, they check their hormones, they check their pulse rates, they do all of these things. And through all of this research, you know what they found out is the, mo is the key indicator 
to whether a marriage will last and be healthy and happy. It's simply this. Did those who are there see their marriage in a positive light or negative? Were they able to emphasize the positive times or did they emphasize the negatives? It had no, didn't matter their backgrounds, didn't matter how long they'd been together, didn't matter if they could fight fair, didn't matter what their uh, compatibility percentage was on Match.com. What mattered was could they speak positively of their spouse and of their marriage even in the hard times? And then he begins to spell that out and what that looks like and how we do that. And what the Gottman Research Institute has done is pretty much paraphrase Paul's words. But as I read Romans and I read Ephesians, I think if we're going to live out God's design for marriage, the first thing we have to do is learn to genuinely love each other. Small words, small acts, small gestures every day. Genuine love doesn't look like, well, I bought you flowers on your birthday. It doesn't look like we went on this great trip for our anniversary. It looks like, what do we do every day? Every day to love and cherish. It looks like understanding that our spouses are growing and remaining curious about that. The woman I married 23 years ago is not the same woman I'm married to today. She is thankful that the person she married 23 years ago is not the same person that she's married to today. But we have to stay curious in our genuine love. Does it keep curiosity in our marriage? Does it keep us growing and exploring and learning from each other? And if we're going to genuinely love, we have to fix what's broken. How many of you, I think marriage is the only place we don't fix what's broken. If you walked out to your garage this morning to come to church and there was oil all over your garage and your tires were flat, you wouldn't be like, eh, let's drive it anyway, we'll fix it later, right? We'd blow up our engine, we'd catch fire on the way to church, we'd ruin our suspension. But that's exactly what we do in our marriage. Oh, this thing's broken, we'll fix it later. If we're gonna genuinely love our spouse, we have to start repairing what's broken and doing that work. Second, we have to mutually submit. Now, I know some of you heard me read Ephesians 5, 21, and you're like, hey, Jason, the real meat is 22 to 33. And you might be right. This has been hotly debated for centuries by people way smarter than I am on this stage. But I think as I read Romans 12, as I think about Jesus' example, and I read Ephesians 5, there's a call to mutual submission. I would argue that the submission that's described in 22 to 33 is the way it's lived out, but we're all called to submit to one another. We're gonna be different. You might be thinking, Jason, you don't understand. My marriage is hard because my wife or my husband is so different than I am. Trust me, there might not be anybody more different on this planet from me than my wife. We are two very different people. But when we choose to serve, when I choose to learn, when I choose to fight through the difficulty, when I choose to embrace the differences and love her the same, I get a chance to serve her. I get a chance to submit to her for her benefit and for her glory, and she gets to do the same thing for me. Yes, challenges are going to come, but that challenge is made 
a whole lot easier when we take an approach of humility and service as, a pro, as opposed to an approach of I'm right and you're wrong. This takes practice, not perfection. Here's the truth. I'm probably going to go mess this up this afternoon. It's not about being perfect. It's about how are we trying to grow? How are we doing the best we can to get there? And lastly, we need to pray. And then pray some more. we got to keep praying. How different would our conversations with our spouses be if instead of saying the first thing that came to our head, we prayed? Anybody else ever have your inside voice get outside your head before you knew it? And you're like, oh, no, that was my inside voice talking outside again. That wasn't supposed to happen. Right? If we'd stop and pray before we have those conversations with our spouse, I wonder how different it would make those conversations. How would our day be different if when we woke up, we prayed and we thanked God for the spouse we have? How would it be different if on the way to work, we prayed in the car for our spouse's day and for everything they were going to go through? How would it be different if at the end of the day, we laid next to our spouse in bed and we prayed thanking God for cuddles and comfort that our spouse provides? No matter when you do it, just keep praying. Because church, people are watching. Healthy and happy marriages have impact way outside of ourselves. They have an impact for the gospel. The way we love our spouse might show someone the way Jesus loves them. And that's why these relationships matter so much. Our kids are watching. Our neighbors are watching. Our coworkers are watching. Are they going to see Jesus and the love that he's given to us and the way that we love each other? Next level marriages follow God's design. Now as the executive team and their spouses make their way up to join me on stage, I want to leave you with just a couple questions to think about. And you can think about these whether you're single or married. I don't want all the single people in the room to be like, well, I should have just slept in this morning. I think there's a lot that we can do to begin thinking about what we want in a future spouse. So my questions are this. One, of all the people in the world, what led you to decide to marry this was the right person for you to marry? Maybe you can be thinking about that if you're single. What's going to be the person? What's going to make that person the right person for you? Question two, what are your routines for staying in emotional contact with each other. How do you know how your spouse is doing? How often are you checking in? Do you have some kind of routine where you check in to see how things are going? Number three, this one might be the most important. How will we deepen our own personal relationship with Jesus this week? Maybe what's broken in our marriages isn't our marriage. Maybe it's our relationship with Jesus. And maybe we need to figure out what's tearing that apart before we worry about what's tearing everything else apart. And number four is the hardest. Do you need some help? I want to reiterate as we get ready to have a discussion about your questions and some prescripted ones, we don't have this all together. There's nothing wrong with getting help. 
There's nothing wrong with talking to people about the things that are going on in your life and in your marriage. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to sign up, I'd encourage you to sign up for the uh, conference coming up next weekend. There's still room. Email Paul. He'll get you VIP access. It'll be great. Get in after the deadline. We'd love to have you there. Or maybe you are in a place where you're like, we need something more one-on-one. Then come talk to us. We're not going to be counselors. We don't have the right letters after our name, but we would love to help you find somebody who can help you. If you need help, will you get it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. Thank you for our spouses and for what they teach us about who you are. And God, I ask and pray that as we seek to honor you in all we do, God, that we would reflect your love to the communities around us. That, God, people would see and understand who you are because of the way we love each other. God, give us wisdom in our marriages to know when to speak, when to be quiet. God, may we fall deeper in love with you so we can love our spouses better. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron Gigas. For those of you that don't know me, I've been uh, asked to moderate, facilitate, mediate. All those words apply. Uh, uh, because I'm a marital expert. No one in first service laughed louder than my wife, so appreciate that. Uh, no, in all sincerity, uh, we have the opportunity to, uh, I'll get that later, um, to uh, talk through uh, with these people who have different years of experience in, in uh, marriage. Uh, we've been given some, some questions ahead of time that I really don't like scripted questions, so we're going to go off script today. We'll just go with whatever I can come up with and think of. Are you comfortable with that? Good. All right. So the first question, I actually do need that now. First question, please introduce yourselves, how long you have been married, share the greatest thing and the hardest thing about being married to your spouse. And uh, says, Jason, please be brief. Says right here. Says, Jason, be brief. Well, then I'll talk for him. Um, <laughs> I'm Corey. This is Jason. We've been married for 23 years. Um, the greatest thing I think about being married to Jason is being able to be married to my best friend. We've known each other since we were 18 years old, and so just being able to grow in friendship um, that way. Um, I would say the worst thing, I'll try to be brief. You called me heartless. It's all fair. Um, I'd say the worst thing, the hardest thing, um, is we are both firstborns. And as such, we are both very stubborn people, and we always think we're both right. And so just being able to figure out when we're not and being humble enough to admit it. You've listened to me talk long enough, but uh, I think the, the best thing about being married to Corey, I talked about it, is her even-keeled nature. The fact that she just keeps me even-keeled and moving forward. The hardest thing, Corey thinks that rules are meant to be followed, and I believe they are meant to be broken. <laughs> And so that often causes conflict in our marriage when I, I want to break the rules and Corey's like, no, we should set a good example. I'm like, no, let's break rules. It's more fun. We are Chase and Megan Hill. We've been married for six years. Newbies. <laughs> um, the best part about being married to Chase is I get a side of him that no one else gets. 
uh, work chase and home chase are two separate people. Uh, he's very selfless with me and very patient with me. Um, the hardest thing, many of you know this, but Chase is very sarcastic. Um, so some days I just can't deal with that. <laughs> she meant to say it's my charm, but that's okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, the greatest thing about being married to Megan is uh, when I go through rough seasons especially, uh, there's no greater encourager than my helper and my companion that I've chosen to be with and that she's chosen to be with. I will say on a fun note, the greatest thing about being married to Megan is when we meet people and they look at me, they say, man, you must have an amazing personality to land the person you did. Um, totally true. Um, the hardest thing is, um, uh, piggybacking off what the rodent said, a rule follower, Megan pretty much runs our house because Megan has a way she likes things. Um, and not like Jason, I value my life, so I try not to break those rules. Uh, but if, if you've seen my office, I can't live that way at home. <laughs> so uh, everything has its place. Uh, there are no shoes in our house. Uh, so yeah, that would be the hardest thing. I always knew that Chase had an alter ego. I just didn't know it was like sweet and tender, and <laughs> nobody would have guessed that. I, I want to meet home Chase. <laughs> Oh, we're, so we're Paul and Stephanie Seidel. We've been married, it will be 21 years in December. Um, I would say the best thing about being married to Paul is that if you uh, have lived with me, which none of you have, um, I have some idiosyncrasies that only my college roommate and my husband know. Things like I leave my coffee cup everywhere and I have a coffee problem. So you might find my coffee cup in the linen closet, uh, the bathroom, the car, uh, an, a mug, not a travel mug. Um, and the hardest thing uh, is that and this is truth. So we really like movies, uh, but he likes feel-good movies, and I like intense psychological thrillers or crime movies and things like that. <laughs> Finding a movie on date night is always difficult, for sure. Um, so the best thing about being married to Stephanie uh, is that she's tenacious about emotional health and justice, like making sure that um, people are uh, being treated fairly and correctly. Um, the hardest thing about being married to Stephanie, oh, and out of that I should say is that she stretches me to grow in, in many ways, and so always challenging me to be the best version of myself. The hardest thing about being married to Stephanie is that she's tenacious about health and justice. <laughs> And so there's moments where sometimes we just, I would like to take a break, and that doesn't ha happen ever. So uh, that would be the hardest thing about being married stuff. Hi, I'm Dee Queen, um, married to Dave Queen. Uh, we've been married 36 years. We started dating when we were, uh, thank you. We started dating when we were 13 and 14. Got married young, and so um, the best thing about Dave I can be a, a very goal-focused person, and um, Dave reminds me to enjoy the process. Um, I forget that a lot, so I'm thankful for that. Um, I don't think there's a worse thing about you, but um, I probably because I am goal-oriented, I create a lot of projects, and I think that um, probably helps him spread himself way too thin, um, and I, I guess I need to correct that. <laughs> Well, make note, I made my wife a queen, right? So, see? Yes. And yes, we use that line a lot. So anyway, and her name is DeQueen, you know, and anyway, we get a lot of comments on that. So let me start with the, the negative. As she said, she's, 
You're goal-oriented, like, okay, well, I would call her a dreamer. And so, um, and in that, those processes, she can change direction really fast on some of those things. And so that makes it a little bit hard. But um, there, you know, we have 36 years of marriage together. And so there are a lot of things that we could talk about. But I think some of the things that um, are amazing is just her smile and her laugh still after these many years make me smile and laugh. And so she always makes a choice every day to love me in an amazing, amazing way. And so I can not ever talk enough about that. Fantastic. Thank you so very much for sharing. Uh, I will say uh, on an administrative note, thank you for your questions. Keep them coming. Uh, if we don't happen to get to all of them because we are in a limited time, we'll send out responses uh, after the fact. Uh, so for this, for this next question, uh, looking back over the years, what moments stand out as really hard times in your relationship and what helped you stay together? This would be for Jason. So, yeah, that's right, it doesn't work. So, so yeah, so I think early on in our marriage, um, Corey and I really struggled to fight fair. Um, we were really nasty fighters, um, to be honest. Uh, we knew what the sore button was to push and we would push it whenever we felt like it. And it was not healthy. We were uh, very explosive. We were never physical with each other, though there was the time that Corey threw a high heel at my head. Slipper. It was a high, it was not a slipper. It was not a slipper. Hotly debated in our marriage. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so anyway, um, but we, we just, and then my response to the escalation was to just leave and to walk out and be gone for hours um, I don't think it was ever gone overnight, but she never knew when or how far or where I would go. And so we avoided that uh, a lot and it was not healthy and probably would have led to really bad places if we didn't figure it out. Um, but we uh, were able to, um, through some counsel of good friends, uh, decided to start doing the State of the Road meetings that you've heard me talk a little bit about where we go and we fought in public because neither one of us were going to make fools of ourselves in public. And so it's, um, it, you are much less likely to push that hot button when you know people are watching. And so that formed some natural habits and routines that helped us frame our conversations. Did you add anything to that? Well, I was just thankful that we were able to learn how to fight fair in public because then once you know our kids came along, it made it a lot easier and um, they have hopefully not been able to having to witness any of that. And so we've been able to set that example for them. Very good. And uh, same question, looking back over the years, what moments stand out as really hard times in your relationship and what helped you stay together as Paul and Stephanie? Um, I, first I want to add, I didn't say the best thing about being married to Paul is that he delights in my idiosyncrasies. So I, I missed that. So I wanted to follow that up. Um, <laughs> So we'll see if I get through this without crying because I didn't in first service. Um, I would say the hardest uh, years of our marriage were 2019 and 2020. Um, and we had just come through, well, we were still in a really, really difficult uh, season. And um, in early 2019, we decided to go out on a date and we were in... North Peoria Core Life Eatery, and we ended up in our then minivan, sitting in the van in the parking lot, literally screaming at each other, and I, I am not uh, downplaying that at all. Like, I think it was probably the loudest fight we've ever had. Um, 
The next day I texted him. I did not, we didn't talk. I texted him and said, I, I won't continue this conversation outside of a marriage therapist's office. Um, so two weeks later, we found ourselves um, in, we found ourselves in therapy and we began our, our journey in uh, marriage therapy, but then we also um, both started individual therapy. And what we found through that time is that the stories of our lives were also playing out in our marriage because marriage is all about what's happening for us internally, but also how does it play out between us? And, and just so you know, we, um, all of this has been okay. We've talked about this beforehand, but the story of Paul's life was that um, he just never felt like he measured up. And so he struggled with shame. And so he worked long hours in ministry and uh, was gone a lot. And then when he was home, he was emotionally gone as well. And the story of my life was that the people who were supposed to be the safest for me were the people who left me, wounded me, and abandoned me. And so that just began to play out in our marriage. And what we had to learn is when we were each triggered and then learn to respond to that rather than to live in a state of reactivity with one another. And the Lord is really good to us with a wonderful therapist who worked with us when our insurance didn't cover uh, our counseling, which is really expensive, as some of you know. And then... Um, and it wasn't a quick process. It was a couple years, and I think we went through 2019, 2020, maintenance in 2021, and last year we went once when I got triggered because he was coming to full staff here, uh, or full-time ministry here. Uh, but I'm really thankful now for where we're at and what God has done. Thank you again for sharing and being so transparent. I, I hope you all recognize what a, a blessing it is for to have this open, uh, kind of open mic sharing and, and uh to recognize while we may sometimes tend to put preachers and leaders on pedestals, they, uh, I think they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else and are prone to the same challenges in marriage and, and, uh, and life in general. So it's great. <laughs> uh, so a little bit easier question, uh, you know, how do you stay connected to each other on a daily basis? Let's start with Dave and Dee. So um, I think communication is key in anything, uh, any relationship. And so we do communicate through the daytime, whether it's just checking in through a text or two or a phone call or what have you. And um, so funny story that um, we have been accused anyway, and it's all a matter of perception of over communicating with each other. Um, whether that's we're talking about the weather, or we're talking about some really heavy stuff. And so that comes from um, an in-law who their relationship, they didn't talk about anything. And so that's the other side of that. So anyway, communicate. We just communicate. Right. Very good. All right. Same question. How do you stay connected to each other on a daily basis? Um, there's two things we do, and I'll take the more fun of the two, I think. So I know everybody on here would agree with communicate, and I know all the other couples communicate via text or carrier pigeon. Um, <laughs> But as being the only millennial couple on stage, um, we, have, we have a 702-day snap streak. Uh-huh, yeah, all right. So we, we Snapchat every day. We send from work, we're like, hey, here's what I'm doing, boom, because we're those millennials. Uh, but I'll let Megan talk about the actual, the more important thing that we do every day. Um, one thing that we do is called after work hug. So um, after we're done with work, it's usually when Chase comes home um, from work, uh, 
hear the garage door open, go meet each other. And he's like, after work hug. And some days I don't want to do that. And some days it just ends up being like a good conversation and we just spend more time with each other. But yeah. We say that just to say that I'm totally different at home, Paul. <laughs> All right. We do have, <laughs> All right, we do have time for one question from the, from the crowd, one from the audience. Um, another easy one. Just uh, very, very basic. So what, this question is, uh, what does it mean for a married couple to be one flesh? Chase. I got you. I got you. Oh, we got you. All right. So to be one flesh, I'm sure they're asking scripturally. Scripturally. Okay. Yeah, specific genera uh, yeah, generations. Yeah. So there's two sides of that coin. Let's start with what I consider the more fun side of that coin. There are kids uh, in the audience. Yeah, there's kids in the audience? There are kids in the audience. All right. So let me do it this way. Hey, so there's kids in the audience. Uh, the way that kids got here, wink. <laughs> All right. That is the more fun side of that coin. But the other side of the coin is something so much more important because it's not just the physical intimacy. It's also the spiritual and the heart desire. Um, Jason's mentioned some stereotypes this morning when preaching. One of the stereotypes that we get, especially as us as pastors, we have people come in asking for help or counseling help. A lot of guys are like, hey, my marriage is not as intimate as it needs to be. And my first response is going to be, then how are you working on your marriage? Because if, you're, if that's your expectation and you're not loving your spouse and you're not working on your marriage, that's what this whole one flesh is all about. It's not just about the physical. Where's your spiritual connection? You know, as Jesus says in Matthew, with what God brings together, let no man separate. How are you nurturing that spiritually? How are you praying for each other, leading each other? And then the other thing, and I'll put it this way, and Megan's going to hate this because Megan... I have no shame. Megan hates talking about certain topics. If you work on your marriage, I promise you the other thing will be so much better. All right. That's what I'll end with. Uh, Jason, you want to fix me theologically at all, or you want to add anything there? No, I'll give you, I'll give you compliments. You handled that much better than you did first service. So. <laughs> Go back and watch online. It's a train wreck. <laughs> now I need a hug. All right. <laughs> Talk to Paul. He'll give it to you. We did miss the uh, bounce chicken wow wow. <laughs> I, I want you to know uh, it is an honor and a privilege to serve with these three couples. Um, we don't do it right all the time. Uh, we don't have all the right answers all the time, and we, even when we do have the right answers, don't always live that out for the betterment of our spouse. But is it an honor to serve alongside? of these folks and to grow together, to challenge each other, to speak into each other's lives. I hope what you see, <laughs> I hope what you see in that though, and in this time that we've shared in this conversation, is because we're not perfect, we want to walk alongside you and we want to help. Now, we know the limits to our help, there's only one person up here with uh, letters after their name that makes them qualified to actually help with your marriage. Uh, yes, that's Stephanie. Uh, so the rest of us will pray for you, spiritually care for you, and we have some level of help and support that we can give. But if you need help, please get it. We want the best for you and for every marriage in our community because we believe it's vitally important. Would you pray with me one more time? God, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the vulnerability 
of these couples. God, thanks for your support in the midst of our brokenness and our mistakes and our sin. And God, we ask and pray that this would, that we would be a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And God, that we would be a support and an encouragement that leads to growth for each and every person that calls Great Oaks home. Thank you so much for your son. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great day. God bless, and we can't wait to see you next week.